over here i've got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen nineteen twenty twenty one twenty two twenty three twenty four twenty five twenty six twenty seven twenty eight twenty nine thirty thirty one thirty two thirty three thirty four thirty five thirty six thirty seven thirty eight thirty nine forty forty one forty we'll be right back after this break Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. Hello, welcome to Coffee and Geography. Now, Am I clutching at straws this week? Because my guest has no apparent affiliation with geography. So perhaps it's a challenge for me to prove that he is some kind of geographer. Or maybe he's here just because he's a thoroughly nice guy. But I'll take a bit from column A and a bit from column B. Andy Palastides, thanks for coming to my neck of the woods for a change. Ah, oh, thank you for having me, Kit. And, and to answer your first question about am I connected to geography in any way, I would refer to the great philosopher... Uh, Peter Quill from Guardians of the Galaxies. I'm one of the idiots that live here. So, you know, just by the nature of that alone, I think we're all connected by geography, aren't we? And that's it, everybody. Thanks for listening. And <laughs> yeah. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so there we go. No, and uh, and that's the argument I always give. Well, at the end of the day, you know, we live on this rock, don't we? We're all geographers in one way, shape, or form. But um, you also describe yourself as six foot, 175 pounds, dark brown hair, beard, usually seen in jeans and quirky sci fi t shirts. Um, and then, yeah, and like to paraphrase Star Wars, because you live on this rock, because I live here. <laughs> but you're also fascinated <laughs> how geography and history in, intertwine. So, yeah. And also, and I made that quip about like, thanks for coming and visit my neck of the woods of change, because I have been a, a guest on one of your podcasts. Was it three times now? I think. Uh, is it free? Uh, we did the, um, the Geography Teachers the geography Strike teachers. Back. Thunderbirds. We did Thunderbirds, and then we did the climate change one. So, yes, we have done oh three. Only three, but I need to get you back for more. We must do more. I know. I know. <laughs> I'll be, yeah, I was going to say, I'm becoming quite part of, the, part of the furniture at the Great Derelict. I don't know. What, what, would, what would that be? How, what, what would be part of the furniture of a, of a wreck in space? Uh, part of a bulkhead, perhaps. <laughs> actually, that can that can actually happen. You know, it's not it's not a pleasant thing to happen. So you don't want that. <laughs> I'm becoming an old self stealing stem bolt or something. Yes, like that. I don't know. one of one of those. Yes, uh, mint in the box, <laughs> never opened. Right. So, coffee, geography, and you're um you're sipping away at your brew. What have you brought to the uh, to the table to our chat, Andy? Oh, I've brought a White Russian, my uh, beverage of oh. choice. Oh, it classy. has coffee in it, so I thought, you know, it's coffee liqueur. That counts. Oh, I mean, it certainly does. Yeah. Mm. Um, let's see. Now, we, we've been we've been shouting out to brands just because we want to like investigate whether they're being sustainable and being nice to the planet or not. So, should mm. we get you to what's your so what's your vodka then? I mean, I think I can. See, is that it there? Can I see it on the side? Oh, of the this this is a bottle of Smirnoff. Um, and uh, I I don't know. Where's this made these days? Uh... No idea if it. Yeah. It's credentials well, it's for sustainability. Well, it's produced in the UK, so I, I couldn't tell you about sustainability. <laughs> of course it would be, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't come all the way from, from Russia. Uh, and then obviously we have Kahlua. The Kahlua. Uh, a yep. product of Mexico, but I once again, I do believe... No, this is imported, so this actually does come from Mexico. So uh, it's probably not uh, scoring points there. some carbon miles there, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But... Uh, I don't drink coffee, and this was the closest I had, so... Fair dues. I had to... Had to make do with what we had. Similar taste, spicy in the taste, very nice. Yes, yes. 
and and and, and it's a uh, the, the drink of the dude, a, a man with whom <laughs> I I think has a very good philosophy to get through life. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, well, you bring in the class, and you're absolutely bringing the class. I mean, we are we are recording this uh, late at night. The kids gone to bed. I I could have, you know, I'm a bit of a um a whiskey drinker myself. I like a bit of uh oh. I like a bit of a wee dram, and that's thanks to a, a, one of my best friends, Clive, who's a, a Scottish bloke from uh, the borders from Dumfries. Well, I used to lodge with when I was a young teacher, so and he never used to let me go to bed without a wee dram first. So now. <laughs> Now I got bottles of the stuff. Thanks, Clive. <laughs> Scott. To be fair, there were far worse things to be uh, becoming addicted to when a young teacher. So, <laughs> very, very true. And on that note, let us move on. <laughs> so... I was going to say gin, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you got lots and lots of teachers listen to this. They're probably all going, "Oh no, okay, you're getting a bit too close to the bone." Now let's just let's move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you are on. Oh, okay, right. This is so hilarious. What links, we're going to talk about just roughly where you live now and kind of like what that means to you, right? Okay. But what links your neighbourhood of London, which we'll reveal in a second, with the following, right? Morden, Tooting Beck, Clapham North and Camden Town. Well, what connects them all is the Northern line, but I do feel like we need to now uh, fall into a game of Mornington Crescent since you've uh, listed a couple of uh, tube stations (laughs) in such a manner. As is reference to the uh, the Tooting... um, uh, bypass Pact of 1962. Oh, that's not one I know about. I'm going to have to look that one up. <laughs> that, that's the game of Mornington Crescent. <laughs> so, but no, actually, you were right. It's all about the Northern Line because I don't know how this happened. And it, well, it happened completely accidentally and coincidentally, I promise everybody. But last season, I had no less than four guests who live along the Northern Line. So my first ever guest for Coffee and Geography was um, the wonderful Glynis Morgan, great friend of mine and geography teacher who lives in Morden. Then we had Katie Water in Tooting Beck. Um, who else? We had Akira Williams from Clapham North, or the Clapham area, and uh, Lucy Eckersley, the punk biologist from Camden Town. So we just ah. by coincidence, you're, so you're the fifth <laughs> guest. I've, I had the furthest the line. north on the Northern the Line. The furthest north so far. Yes. Yep. yes. So... Everybody, I just want to say, you know, uh, if you live along the Northern Line, then Coffee and Geography clearly is the place for you. Um, you know, please get, get in touch. <laughs> and get you I was going to say, you're probably done with people on the Northern Line at this point, aren't you? It's like, you know what? Oh, no. maybe, district Line, maybe, if you want to come along, Piccadilly. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, Andy, you know, because um, all, all fascinating, wonderful guests. So so you're just, uh, just anybody who comes on now who's on the Northern Line has just got a very high... Uh, High uh, barrier, high high bar to uh, to clear. I, I, I will try people. and drag that bar down with me, Tony. <laughs> I know you will. You won't. You won't disappoint anybody. Right. So, Collindale is where you are in London. So, tell us a little bit about uh, Collindale. And and actually, Andy, is is um, are you a, a Collindale person through and through, or or have you, or is this, uh, is there, have you moved there at some part of your life? But how does it form some kind of part of your identity then? Oh, it's it's, uh, it's it's where I grew up, and then I left, and then I came back uh, after a while. Uh, so it 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 has been a large part of my life for a long time. I, I've been living here long enough now that I've kind, although it's always been part of London, um, it it it's it's changed now where London is continuing to eat it all up, and it is becoming um, more and more ensconced within uh, the high rises because we're part of Barnet, uh, the London Borough, mm. and. Barnet has committed to, I think, 10,000 new homes was what the commitment was. 
and it does seem like they're putting all 10,000 of those homes in Collindale, <laughs> like nowhere else in Barnet. So Where's the it's room. <laughs> Well, there used to be the police college uh, here, Hendon Police College, oh. which if you uh, have ever watched Avengers Age of Ultron, you will have seen the police college because it was featured quite heavily uh, doubling as Sokovia. But oh. uh, after the Avengers were finished with it, there wasn't much left. So they flattened all of that and they just built flats and flats and more flats and lots of flats and all of the flats and nothing but flats. So we've had a huge influx of people here. Uh, but as is often the case uh, when you put in lots of flats buildings, uh, they haven't done much else in terms of infrastructure or anything no. like that. So we still have the same teeny tiny tube station and the same bus routes and there's no more parking anywhere. So um, it has become a little crowded. Yeah, I've yeah, that is a very, very common story when it comes to uh, urban sprawl and conurbations linking together and uh and yeah, I mean, I could definitely go all geography teacher on you now, you know, because uh, <laughs> one of the modules I used to teach to year nine, so uh, that's the 14, 13, 14 year olds is of course about um about London and urban sprawl. So uh my used to, I come from uh Harlow and Essex originally. So um London's we won't hold it against you no well (laughs) I hold it against myself Uh, but um so London's not quite you know it's probably really realistically not going to go out that far but um my mum is from Epping which is just outside of the M25 and that is you can actually walk from Epping all the way into central London you know with very very little um transition back into a kind of a rural area so you you, mm-hmm. you would walk basically it's the central line you would walk from epping through they boys loughton buckhurst hill woodford all that kind of way and it just london which just keeps growing 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 and it actually it's a fantastic urban transect it really is if you really want to see how you know you just got this giant um old settlement how it just but yeah and i can imagine that where you are in Collindale. I'm just looking at the map here and you've got the Royal Air Force Museum right nearby. Oh yes, uh, that's not far away at all and uh, many a happier uh, day in my youth was spent over there because it's free as well which is fantastic so Ooh. it's a great little museum to go and have a look at. Um, they used to be the British newspaper library was here as well but that's moved on since. Oh. Um, we, we we do have a, a rather large um, uh public health uh, research facility, one of the few facilities allowed to deal with uh, level five uh, infectious substances. So they do have samples of smallpox there. Uh, That's just around the corner. So, you know, that's fun. (laughs) Wow. I did not know that. Well, well, you're, 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 um, (laughs) well, if you, if you come down here with something really, really deadly serious, we know where it's come from then, won't we? Well, it's, it's definitely one of those things it doesn't bear to, bear to dwell upon too much. You know, you go, ooh, that's a... let's just pretend that that isn't there and we'll be quite happy. <laughs> it's just kind of hidden away behind the KFC and no one needs to uh, worry about it. <laughs> so you so you said that you, you grew up there and you, then you went away and came back. So um, would it, was there ever a case then when you came back to Collindale that was like you definitely noticed the difference from or was you away long enough for it to change quite substantially when you went back? While I was, I mean, so I, I'm, I was away from uh, 2002 until about 2008, 2009. Uh, and in, in that period, there wasn't a huge amount of change, really. What really changed was in the last decade. And that was when the uh, police college uh, was sold and redone. And a lot of the um, surrounding area, there used to be a very large uh, shopping center called Oriental City. Uh, which was featured in the film Dread. Uh, there's a little uh, 
tidbit for you. Uh, but VAT was knocked down as well, and that's been turned into flats and the Morrisons. Effectively, anything, any bit of land that is left vacant for more than 30 seconds is knocked down and turned into flats around here. Mm. Because Barnet has a reputation of being a very leafy suburb with lots of lovely things. And that's still very much the case over in Barnet side of things. Um, but to to meet these quotas, there's a few places. There's here, there's parts of West Hendon where they just cram it all into the one place. So mm. but the borough as a whole is seemed to be you know, expanding and putting in more houses. But uh, really, it's all just in the one spot. Mm, it seems quite paradox- paradoxical to me because you've got you've got the London, well, you've supposedly got the green belt around London to to stop to stop it growing outwards even more in urban an urban sprawl. But that doesn't seem to be very uh, strictly abided to in recent years, recent decades. But there's still so so maybe the infilling of london is the way to go and that's how harlow has developed actually quite a bit because it was so spread out as an as an old london new town um that was started up in 1950s but they just infilling it now and it's that's just the way that it's been going so but um yeah which is it's really interesting to see how this how this works out and i can just imagine i don't know trying to think of uh, well how many sci-fi movies don't have towering sky rises into well, the, the clouds, best comparison you know. I can think of at the minute is Judge Dredd right. and Mega Cities, because what used to be the police college and the police college, you know, it, it, it was, you know, police land it was all fenced off, but it was big. It was open. It was green fields. You could see it was like three very distinct accommodation blocks. But now all you see are these, um, you know, those kind of Lego brick flats that are yes. all just kind of put together. Very cheap to build, very expensive to buy. You know, it's a one-bedroom flat there to buy costs something like £125,000. And it's like there's not £125,000 of value in this property. Yeah. But they're cheap to build um, and they're just throwing them up left and right. But as I said earlier, there's, there's no accounting for uh, any, you know, there's no no new schools being built. There's no new... Uh, you know, transport hubs, no, no more of those links. It's just put the put the houses in place. And while, yes, there needs to be more housing, more affordable housing more than anything, uh, there needs to be the other stuff too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it seems to be an issue no matter where the development's taking place. Uh, my Where my old high school, um, well, the high school I used to teach up just outside of Norwich, they uh, effectively doubled the size of the settlement. They had about 800 dwellings and they built, over the space of just a decade, another 800 dwellings. So mm. that is a huge increase, but the infrastructure has not kept up, let's put it that way. No. They've still got only one main road that goes into Norwich, and it was bad before those houses even went up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah, this, this is really interesting. So s- sticking with, like, your sense of um, identity, though, so your so Plastis, your last name then, that's Greek Cypriots. It is indeed. So, Greek so Cypriot. how did that come about then? So, if you, if you're a, if you're a lad born and bred in Collindale, how was the mm-hmm. how's the uh, where's the surname come from? Well, the surname it comes from my grandfather, who um, was born in Cyprus around the latter half of the 19th century, I believe, and who uh, uh, there was a little bit of empire building, if if we're honest, you know. Uh, Britain turned up and said, "Nice island, we'll take it. Uh, we have a flag." and put their flag in it. And then <laughs> all of a sudden Cyprus became part of the British empire. But yes, uh, at that point uh, he, he was given a British passport because that's what they did. And so he moved to the UK and 
He came to the UK. He got a job. He served in the uh, Royal Artillery, I think, during the war. He got married. Uh, served as the head waiter at the, the Ritz. And, uh, yeah, made a life for himself here. And, honestly, the name Pelastides, it, it was... You know, it was something I endured more than anything else. You know, I went to a secondary school where obviously, you know, a name like that, that's just that's just chumming the water as far as, you know, kids are concerned. <laughs> so, right. you know, what I would have given to be a Smith or a Jones back then. But no, I had to be <laughs> Pelastides. Um, but uh, happened to come in quite useful recently because a little thing ca- might have happened. You might have noticed a li- li- little, little bit of screwing us over with Brexit and all that jazz. Mm. Uh, but it turned out we had my grandfather's old passport and his uh, citizen his uh, certificate of citizenship when he became a british citizen when they did the empire thing and when cyprus gained its independence uh, from the uk in i think 67 part of their constitution was anyone who has uh, a descendant along the male line of uh, cypriot descent was eligible for nationality and so i was able to get my cypriot citizenship so I got myself wow. a little ticket onto the lifeboat off the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I have to say I'm quite envious because I most certainly continue to identify as European, as a European citizen. And, yep. uh, you know, we, we I do try keep obviously politics out of, out of the podcast. But what I will say without any shame at all, you know, is is I do I am European and I, I feel that my citizenship was taken away without my consent. So absolutely. And my children's European citizenship and everything, you know, we had, but um, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, a debate we'll, we will leave uh, <laughs> in other spheres because but what, 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 what my point with that is though, is as a result of that and a result yeah. of losing it through the British side, I've come to embrace my Cypriot heritage a lot more than absolutely. I ever had done previously. And I'm, you know, I'm glad I didn't change my name at some earlier point to, <laughs> yeah. to something simple. I, I'm proud like like Smith, uh, I'm I'm proud I have it. I'm I'm very glad I now have a an EU passport once again, and I'm glad that I have those rights which were unjustly stripped. Frankly, uh, we won't get into it, but ugh, have many thoughts on that. <laughs> yes, I'm very grateful I was able to do it, and and it has led me to to reevaluate my my origins and and embrace it. So mm. I'm very happy to once again. Yeah, and I and I certainly certainly do um, see you in that respect. You know, I kind of have felt it's been a privilege check for for me and for a mm. lot of us as well. So, you know, you know, you know what they say. You sometimes you don't know what you had until you lose it. So, um, and things can be as fickle as that in the world oh, of yes. politics. Yes. <laughs> so, but we're we gonna we're gonna move on uh, a little bit now because we're going to spill the beans, Andy. Okay. Uh, and um, and uh, I, I'm just going to quote you on this because you, you're going to tell us what you actually mean by this because it's it's just so hilarious. Okay. You said um, in your form, you said you know that scene in the Lego Movie where Benny is getting really excited about spaceships. Spaceships. Yes. I feel seen in that moment. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So spill. I mean, okay. First of all, before we go on, before you go and spill the beans, exactly what you mean by that. I just want to <laughs> tell everybody that on the camera, I can see a beautiful beautiful model of the Rossinante from the expanse uh, it is gorgeous so um that's one thing about your love of spaceships so yeah well, tell you us can't more. see you you can't see them from where the camera is currently placed but from where i'm sitting on the shelf 
over here i've got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen nineteen twenty twenty one twenty two twenty three twenty four twenty five twenty six twenty seven twenty eight twenty nine thirty thirty one thirty two thirty three thirty four thirty five thirty six thirty seven thirty eight thirty nine forty forty one forty we'll be right back after forty four forty five spaceships on the shelf there <laughs> whereas i only well i have i have a fun i have some thunderbirds thunderbird two here the only one spaceship i really have is of course the enterprise d and Annie's going to get me. There we are. Is that the exact same one? Is that the one no, with the button? Oh, no, is, no, it's different. No, this is the um, the Aerosmith one from uh, Japan, which does the source of separation thing. And, uh, yes. Yeah, mine doesn't. So only, only that. No, this this is that. I reckon that this is the model from. Um, That's the Playmates one, yeah? <laughs> yeah, it is. This is the I one had that as from a, Cause I and Effect. You know why I think it's from Cause and Effect? Because the cells, cells come off, off yeah. <laughs> That's for anyone who doesn't know anything about Star Trek, like what the hell are they talking about? If if you're going to watch an episode of Star Trek to try and get into it, maybe cause and effect is not a bad episode of Star Trek: Next Generation to start with. To be honest, it's not no. a bad one. Uh, Yesterday's Enterprise is another solid Yesterday's episode. Enterprise, episode. Yeah. yeah. Remember me? That's a good one. Remember me? Yeah. I mean, so once again, that's an entire podcast on on its own. I mean, my favorite episode of the Next Generation is one that people don't tend to pick, but I love Sarek. Yes, actually, that was oh well, that was mentioned very very recently actually about how oh big shout out to um, the people at Trek Culture that's right because mm-hmm. it was I think it was Sean Ferrick who went down the list of of um, I think it was something like ten episodes that had a deeper meaning than you realise or yeah. something like that and the episode Sarek was a reflection on the fact that Gene Roddenberry was very very ill and. Mm-hmm. And you know was suffering from detentive diseases and stuff like that, and it's just oh, it's such a powerful, powerful episode. So yeah, I think that's Patrick Stewart's best performance as Jean Luc Picard is in Sarek. It, it's and Mark Leonard's best performance as Sarek. It's such yeah. a powerhouse of an episode, and it because it doesn't have big spaceship moments, and it's ironic coming from me, but it's because <laughs> it has these fantastic performances, and it has that deeper meaning. I love that, and the music. Yeah. I'm a sucker for a good score, and the music. And I know he, he's not actually playing um, uh, Mozart like he claims; he's playing Brahms. But it's just such a beautiful scene when Sarah, you know, get little, little tear shedding during the recital. I love yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and this is this is one of the things. This is how we connected, wasn't it? Um, on, on Twitter initially and how I ended up on your podcast was our, our, our both our deep love of, of sci-fi and Star Trek, mm-hmm. but sci-fi in general as well, which is one of the reasons why you absolutely love spaceships. And I think <laughs> the other thing that we've had so really good discussions about, as you already alluded to, because I do want to talk you to talk about like your podcast and, and, and your podcast and what does that mean to you and things like that, because we, we've had such deep discussions about well, basically, the deeper meaning of what you know, sci-fi and science fiction, and and what it actually means for for life. So we, t- as you mentioned earlier, we talked about um, the the geography behind a lot of things, which is when myself and Alistair Hamill came on your sh- came it's on colonialization your within the, science, about, we talked about colonialization, lens, yeah. yeah, and we talked about about Thunderbirds. And we had such a, a deep discussion actually with regards to the whole backstory. I mean, I've forgotten I've forgotten my fellow guest's name now. Lee Stringer. Lee Stringer. We had Lee Stringer yeah. on who had worked with Jerry Anderson and talked about, and hmm. there were so many things that I didn't even realize. And then, of course, when we talked about climate change, well, we could have just gone and then on and on and on. And, and I've written a blog, actually, post, yeah. <laughs> based on based on our discussion. And it was it's actually been one of the most popular bo- uh, blog posts I've written to date. So, um, yeah, it's it's 
and that episode Sarek is a prime example of why I feel quite self secure and satisfied about my geekiness of sci-fi because it isn't just about you know Benny and the Lego movie spaceship 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 which which is what probably people see us you know that meme like what people think I am what people you know that one um it's not just about that's what people see us it really is a lot of more nuance a lot more depth to it and Sarek is an episode which which talks about that because you say there's there's no space battles there's no flying around the ship there's no there's hardly any techno babble in it whatsoever Um, it is just purely about this deep connection between someone who is suffering, you know, the mental faculties breaking down their relationship within other members of their family, you know, and it's his, his it's very just... identity of Sarek, who, who has yeah. always been this strong, stoic individual with a huge sense of duty. And he's there trying to do this one last thing, this one last task. And his barriers are slipping and they're falling down. And he just, it's tragic. And I, I mean, mm. you know, when, when someone, you know, is suffering from that sort of an illness. And when, if you're watching someone suffer from it, they're losing their sense of self and who they are. I, personally speaking, I can't think of anything more terrifying than losing your sense of identity. And the way it's portrayed in that episode is with such humanity and, and with such grace. And it's so powerful and it just connects in such a way. And it's, that is for me what science fiction does so well. It, it is allows you to explore aspects of the human condition and, and of the world around us. And we are, as a species, very bad at self-reflection. We yes. are yes. terrible at it. But if you put a sci-fi lens on it, if you give them pointy ears or paint them blue and say, no, they're not humans, we're talking about this other species then, mm. people tend to be a lot more receptive to self-identifying and say, oh, Oh, it was absolutely wrong. They discriminated against that person. Oh, oh, wait. Oh. Hi, folks. A chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. It's, it's with um, so for those people who don't know about Star Trek, there's this race of people called the Trill, and the the Trill basically they have um, symbiotes that live inside of them who are their own conscious, their own being, but they can join with a humanoid body, and then they become one person with the shared memory and then the symbiote can move on when that body that person has died the symbiote can be moved on to someone else and moved on to someone else so the symbiote can live for thousands of years even though the the person they join with may only be you know 70 80 100 years whatever it is and they are such an allegory for trans people mm-hmm. so people like myself who are trans we we identify quite strongly with with trill because because the symbiote might be joined with a male host and then the next host may be female. So there's a fantastic scene in Deep Space Nine when three Klingon warriors show up, and they knew Dax's yes, previous host, Curzon, Curzon Dax. And Kor runs up and he hugs, embraces Jadzia, and goes, "Curzon, my old dear friend." And Jadzia just simply says, "I'm Jadzia now," and without missing a beat, without any questions, yes. without any judgment, Kor just says. Jadzia, my old friend, yes. and continues to be embrace. And it's, yeah, it's absolutely, it, it's not difficult, yes. people. <laughs> like, if a Klingon can do it, 
yeah <laughs> yeah so exactly so and, and that is exactly an example from from my personal identity of how how they are not being very not being explicit at all in fact you know it wasn't written to be a trans allegory at the time it, but but a it lot has of trans become- people identified with it but it is it's fantastic now that with discovery vote the writers yes. are embracing that aspect of it and what we're seeing with uh adira and with gray they are both experiencing you know uh, you know being connected to the dax story and going through effectively a trans metaphor in yes. different ways uh, and and what i also enjoy as well is what we're seeing what's going on with zora as well it, it, and and that dynamic there I, I have issues with some of this writing on Discovery. I think it's generally quite uneven, but I adore the cast and I adore what they are trying yeah. to do with that show. And they are doing they're doing great work. If they could just a bit more consistency <laughs> on the writing level, it would be the best Star Trek by a country mile. <laughs> yeah. And I, none of them are going to ever listen to this podcast, but I do want to, yeah. you know, in just in, in the absolute infinitesimal chance that any of them are, I've, I've told them via social media and everything like that, that they are, uh, I have connected with them so so much, and thank you yeah. for everything that you've done. Everybody, I have managed to speak, as you know, on the podcast to Adil Hussein, who made a cameo yeah. to Star Trek Discovery, and, and I've I've relayed through him how I felt. But um, but they do so much for fandom as well. You know, they take the time to to speak to to fans. You know, Wilson Cruz actually for for the um, the the fleet that I'm a member of on Star Trek Online that I play occasionally. We we lost a member, you know, a, a longstanding mm-hmm. member. Well, actually, one of the founding members of our fleet, unfortunately. Um, uh, lost her at a very young age and Wilson Cruz you know got wind of this through our fleet um, admiral and sent us a message of condolences and it was just you know it's just beautiful these people are beautiful people human beings it's just it's just lovely that they can offer that to the fans it's great how invested the cast are and and they understand how important they are in, in what they're doing you know this yeah. isn't William Shatner you know get alive people these people understand what they represent and how important it is that we see them and that they are seen and mm-hmm. they embrace it and they seem to love it as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. So it, it's, it is fantastic that we, there is that kind of back and forth because when next generation deep space nine and Voyager were on, we didn't have Twitter or that level of access no. to the cast at the time. So, so it's, it's, it's been quite fascinating seeing this new star Trek, and it's not just Discovery as well. I mean, I adore Lower Decks and seeing what yes. they've been doing there. And it's not even just Star Trek. The Expanse, what we were speaking about earlier, I think has had some of the best uh, diverse casting and writing and just everything. And the depiction of character, the, the depiction of drummer's polyamorous Belter family yes. in seasons um, in season five was one of the best depictions of a family and and it's this idea you know we we, we have such a uh what's what's the word i'm looking for we, we have such a narrow view of what family is and it just kind of showed it is so much bigger than just a mommy and a daddy and a kids there no no it, it family is such a ubiquitous term and the fact in the world of the expanse it, it encompasses your crew as much as you know there and it's 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 expanded upon in the books, and I will always harp on that the books are well worth checking out. But oh, yes. seeing how well it was depicted and Cara G and, and everyone within that family, it was just amazing to see. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And you mentioned Drummer, which of course is played by Cara G, and I will have no, no qualms or any shame of saying I think she's 
I am hot. I am so gay for Cara G. Oh, she's the queen of a belt. And she's <laughs> she's Chipewa, so she's of indigenous descent as well, of yeah. um, which is great. And I didn't actually know that until I, I looked up and stuff like that. So and then I realized that actually, wow, that really is such a diverse cast. And when you see Cara G separate from Kamina Drummer, like you see her without the makeup and just how she is normally. You, there's such a this is the thing with acting Oscars and everything like that and awards I, I often think you kind of need to show the what is the actor like on their baseline compared to the characters yeah. because <laughs> some people they just play themselves you know I mean like, I love Gene Hackman but Gene Hackman plays Gene Hackman okay it's just, it's just what he does but you look at Cara G and then you look at Kamina Drummer and it's like that's night and day that is talent because I would walk by Kawaji and I wouldn't spot her or pin her for Kamina Drama in an instant. You know, even if she spoke to me, I wouldn't connect it. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, we, we, we need to stop now move on, honestly. Okay. I'm starting my mind. Right. So before we move on to the next bit then, Andy. Okay. F- uh, this is going to be such a tough question for you, being such a, you know, the breadth and depth of your knowledge of, of sci-fi and stuff like this. But for you personally, if there was one um sci-fi or maybe an element of a sci-fi that really does speak deep to your soul that you have a really deep connection with what do you think that might be and why i know it's maybe a tough quite toughy but it's probably not as tough as you think because I, I i'll just fall back on it, it uh, my favorite science fiction film of all time is blade runner i love blade runner and i love blade runner because it's a beautiful looking movie it is fantastic but i love it because at its core it asks the question, what is it to be human? And you have this wonderful moment at the end of Blade Runner and a spoiler for a 40-year-old film if people haven't seen it, but at the end of Blade Runner, uh, Deckard is being chased by this replicant, Roy Batty, and Batty has seen his brothers, his sisters, his lovers killed, gunned down by people like Deckard. Deckard, who is a a Blade Runner, a police officer, who is given free reign to kill them because it's not murder, it's retirement. And he holds Deckard in his hands like he could kill him. He has that power to do it. And he says, it's quite a thing to live in fear. That's what it is to be a slave. And then he pulls him up off the edge. And then he falls into this soliloquy and he tells Deckard, he goes, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. And he goes on to talk about these things he's seen, he's experienced these moments. And then he says, all these moments will be lost like tears in rain. Because he knows he is unique. His his experiences are valid. His life is valid. He was real. You know, he may not have been born human, but he is human. I think, therefore, I am. And then he dies and he dies. there, And it's a very sad moment. And in that moment, Deckard realizes, I like to believe that he has been murdering these people. He has been, you know, this job, which was deemed to be a, a right thing to do, to go out and do all this. No, it's not been retiring faulty machines. It's been murdering individuals. And he comes to understand that moment. And it's it's just such a beautiful moment. And it it's something that's always resonated with me is this question of what is it to be human? It's such a hard thing to quantify. Uh, I recently recorded an episode of uh, my podcast, A Great Derelict. And we talked about, you know, what is, what is it to be human? Where you have this intersection between technology and with, Humanity. It's very hard to say a human is this. You know, it's it's very hard to identify what are those core traits. And I love science fiction, which forces you to explore that. And what's even better then is you have the sequels film twenty forty nine. And I thought for the longest time it was impossible to do a sequel to Blade Runner. I didn't want it. I thought it was just going to be cheap and chitsy and terrible. But Denis Villeneuve gave us such a good sequel, and he 
basically for, for a lot of times, a big question within Blade Runner community was, is Deckard a replicant? Was he a replicant? Was he a replicant? Then Ivona came up and said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he was a replicant. He knows what's real. And I love science fiction like that. So, so that's a long way of saying that film, that <laughs> aspect. That's what I like. But oh. also the spaceships. Spaceships. <laughs> what yes, a great spaceships. answer. Yeah, and if you if anyone's got any love for sci-fi, um, do do check out Andy's podcast, The Great Derelict. Um, and it's 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 brilliant. It's brilliant. It's uh, especially but... for once Kate's on. <laughs> yeah, subscribe to both of our podcasts, please. Yeah, <laughs> right. We got one one feature to do before we we do our last little bit. Andy, is that we're going okay. to you're going to be the first guest of. Season two to do jog on. Which okay. is where we give uh, five random topics, completely random. Um, one we may actually automatically pass on because I feel we've actually covered it quite a lot of depth already. Okay. <laughs> um, but but the rule is everybody, if you've not, not heard of this before, is that Andy can choose to say jog on, which is G-E-O-G, by the way. Yes, okay. there's the pun, um, which means that Andy would love to talk about it and, um, and off he goes for a little bit. Or he could say take a hike, which means skip that. But the little caveat is because so he doesn't just like skip the ones he doesn't like is that he can only skip twice. So he has to talk about three, but he can skip twice. So you ready, Andy? For the so first many rules. Okay. I know, okay. I know. Don't worry, I'll keep, <laughs> I'll keep you on the level. Right. Okay, so the, this, this is completely random, everybody. And just to confirm, Andy, you do not know what these are in advance. I have no idea whatsoever. <laughs> you don't even have no idea what's going on, so it's great. No. Right, so the first topic is typewriters. Is this okay. something you want to riff about for 60 seconds or so, or do you want to I mean, take a hike? My, my, my dad had a typewriter when we were growing up in his office, uh, but it wasn't a mechanical, well, it was a mechanical typewriter, but it had this uh, ball in it, which as you typed, it would rotate around to, to kind of imprint on the thing, which looked just like a Ferrero Rocher. So it had a little <laughs> Ferrero Rocher on the thing, and, it, and as you typed, and it just kind of spun around. It used to fascinate me for hours watching it. Oh, and and it had um, uh, it was it was almost like a like a tape reel thing, and if you made a mistake, you could rewind it back. But it also <gasps> meant that if you took the tape wow. out afterwards, it was like reading through ticker tape things, sort <laughs> oh, of things. Nice. You could you could almost read the um, you know, read the messages which had gone on there before. So so there you go. There's some random stuff about uh, typewriters. Oh. <laughs> I didn't even know that. I mean, I, I remember the one that had basically had, you know, um, Tipex effectively in it. So, yeah. you know, you press the backspace button and it would basically Tipex exactly try and print. But then everything would always go misaligned eventually, which means you just get this like really like ghostly looking. And then I used to do that as a kid on my old dad's typewriter. I used to type something and then Tipex it offset uh, slightly and it had this really if, cool font effect. If you Google golf ball typewriters you can find what i'm talking about golf ball typewriters yes. okay it's like a, it's like a little Ferrero Rocher thing though <laughs> i can't think of anything but a Ferrero Rocher typewriter now yeah. right uh, with a golden keypad and a key keyboard and everything no but the key the keypad wasn't gold but, but, oh, but Ferrero Rocher was i was hoping to be full <laughs> golden kit anyway okay no. right actually now the second um topic you might actually choose to go for because i know what connection you're gonna make right oh okay but the actual the topic, so you can skip it and say take high if you want, is is botany. Ah, botany bay. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> I, I won't do botany bay, but I won't do botany bay. I, I will instead plug one of my favourite books. Okay, is The Martian by Andy Weir. 
Right. Which features a botanist who ends up being stranded on Mars and has to survive for a year. Uh, it, it, it was made into a very good film by Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dare say Ridley Scott's last good film um, uh, starring Matt Damon. But uh, yeah, The Martian and a fantastic science fiction story about how important it is that you have a botanist if you're ever going to be stranded on Mars. Also potatoes. Potatoes are important. That's a really good. But, link. but also Botany Bay from Star Trek 2. Yeah, exactly. You task me. He tasks <laughs> me and I shall have him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to have to watch that movie again. Um so yes, so we got three topics left. You can only choose one, but oh crikey, don't even start. Um, <laughs> so three topics left. You can only choose one of these now. Okay. Uh, so the next topic is Renaissance. 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 Uh, I'll take a hi- I tell you what, I'll take a hype, but I'll, I'll reserve the right to come back to one of these if oh, <laughs> you can't do that cheating. Oh, <laughs> all right, okay. And now, actually, I think you might want to actually skip this one because I think actually we we kind of covered this sort of when we talked about Sarek. And okay. this is no word of a lie. This did come up randomly. And the fourth topic was dementia. Okay. Believe it or not. I think, so, I, I, think I have covered it as much yeah, as I probably want to do. Seriously, because, you know, a, a, that episode of Such an Next Generation, you know, so that can, you know, it was very allegory to, to dementia. Mm. Um, so, right. Um, and, okay, the fifth and final topic, which technically you do have to talk about, is masonry. Masonry, eh? <laughs> masonry. Uh, I mean, I, I can talk a little bit about masonry, I suppose. I mean, one of the things I do, I, I, I enjoy photography. Uh, if anyone yep. follows me on Instagram, uh, which is at andyp3e, I like to go and take pictures. One of the things I like to take pictures of is the buildings we have in London. We have some wonderful architecture throughout London. And uh, if, if uh, you know, St. Paul's Cathedral is, um, uh, you know, a really impressive building and a structure. Uh, and if you go in there, uh, it's not worth the money to go in. But, you know, I took the wife once so we can go up there. But you get up there. I love being able to see the witness marks on the stone. It kind of connects you in a way to the builders mm. who created this thing many hundreds of years ago. And there's graffiti in there, which is awesome. Builders put graffiti on the bricks when they were putting them in there you know it's, i mean it's not quite you know uh fez was here 1722 <laughs> but you know it's not far away from that <laughs> oh sweet um, that is actually really really interesting because um that fact now should get some of us to actually look at these old historical buildings just a little bit closer and think about what these strange scratch marks are in some of the brickwork because they could be weathered away old Graffiti signatures. If, yeah. if if you go to St Paul's and you walk up to the um, through the Whispering Gallery up to the very top, now they've changed it now, but it used to be that the stone steps had worn away so much that they were unsafe because mm. people over the many centuries walking up there had just worn away the, yeah, the stone steps, and it's just really fascinating when you go and see these buildings. Uh, I mean, not just to St Paul's. If you go to Cleopatra's Needle on the Thames, um, and let's not get into the whole. Uh, uh, touchy subject about why that's on the Thames and not in Egypt. But mm-hmm. uh, at the pedestal around the base of it are um, shrapnel damage from during the war where a bomb exploded nearby and it put sh- damage onto the wall. But they didn't repair it, but they put a plaque there saying, you know, this was caused by a bomb explosion in you know, 1940, whatever it was. And I think that's always fascinating when, when you see these places and you see the human connection to them. You know, you see mm. these little bits that speak to who built it, you know, and who put it together? Uh, they had a King Tutankhamun exhibit in London last year. It was the last thing we did before it all went to hell. Um, and you've got these objects, these items, which are six thousand years old. I mean, you know, they were four thousand years old of the year dot. 
That's mm-hmm. kind of how old they were. And you can see little witness marks on this stuff, you know, little bits of gold. Wow. It's like someone someone carved that. Someone did all these things. And it's it, it just connects you in a way. I mean, can, can I go off on a little side tangent very briefly? But yeah, you go like on, this. Yeah. You see, your father wanted you to have this when you were older. Uh-huh. You recognize this, yeah. Oh, my so this is a lightsaber. This is a replica of uh, Luke Skywalker and Anakin Skywalker's lightsabers from A New Hope. Because uh, one of the things I like to do is I like to build replicas of props. What I love about when I make a prop is I try to make it as accurate as possible. Not because I'm trying to do any kind of clearance or anything like this, but I'm solving a lot of the same problems that the original prop makers would do. And it kind of connects me to the film and to the product, uh, to the prop in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise. Because uh, this was originally a camera flash. And when you get hold of it and you start exploring why did they choose to do this? Uh, I mean, this is great for an audio medium, so all you listening at home, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you see here's the, the grip, the switch, okay? Right. Yeah. Right. It's only this way on the New Hope lightsaber, which makes sense. So when you hold it, you've got the activation stud where your thumb is. But after that, in all of the other films, it's on the other side. And we were like, well, why is it like that? And it's because after they finished filming it, they took some promo photos. And at some point, it was opened up to to put batteries in or something. And when they put it back together, they put it back the other way around. And it's just never been corrected. So it's always been on the wrong side. And I really like looking at it and understanding. It, It connects me to the film and to the movie making in a way uh, i've got a full-size proton pack and it was really interesting when i'm doing that because one day i just woke up and i said i'd like a proton pack oh wait i can have a proton pack uh, it, it's understanding some of the you know design issues and the things that connect me to it and it, it, it was a really good way for me to kind of you know to stim to just kind of you know zone out to just get out of my own head for a little while and just mm. build on something and you know amazing it's much the same way with masonry there you go you see and yeah. Plus we're back in. <laughs> yes, I love it. And you're gonna have to right. You're gonna have to put a picture on on that on Twitter, and we can link to it when, we, when the episode goes out. Yes, yes. I, I will send you some pictures. I got some stuff on my Instagram. Sweet. That I can send to you. <laughs> oh well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Andy. Right, one last thing to do then. Okay, that is to to connect you to our previous guests, our first um, lot of guests from the first episode, season two, because I actually had two people on. Which was really, really lovely. I had um, Lauren Sinclair, who's a teacher in Portland, Oregon, a middle school teacher. No, it's, yeah, middle school teacher. Um, and one of her ex-middle school students, Surya, um, which was really lovely. It was a lovely discussion about um, about maps and GIS and mapathons and, and uh, just a bit of a laugh, really. But um, when I asked them to come up with uh, a word for you to try and link to anything to do with geography, geographical processes, or anything you so so wish. Um, they had a bit of a, a, a challenge, shall we say, because they weren't quite <laughs> sure what to come up with. So they picked the word drag. Drag? As in raw pool drag, you know, that kind ah. of drag, as in, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, uh, the, the creative medium, the creative art of drag. So because they really wanted to try and stump you because because Lauren is a long time listener. Hi, Lauren. So Lauren's listened to all of season one and she said, well, you know, I want to I want to see what, what the other person can come up with here, you know, rather than just throw them something they're going to do a connection. So and I was like, huh, this will be an interesting one for you, Andy. Drag. Do you think you can have a go? At it? So, of course, you've got to do it under time conditions. We, we can have a go. I mean, I 
Say when. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll start the 30 seconds now. I got it for well, you. Well, uh, 30 seconds now. Well, uh, I don't watch uh, Drag Race whatsoever, but I am very familiar with the works of Eddie Izzard. And Eddie Izzard has done many, many, many fantastic sketches talking about uh, drag and colonialism and geography and things like that. You'll need a flag, obviously. <laughs> uh, but going further back as we tie it into history, I know that it, I don't know this for certain, but obviously there were periods when uh, you couldn't be a, a actor if you were a woman. So many uh, female roles in plays were performed by men wearing uh, women's clothes, things like that. Mm, is it I don't know if that was any good or anything. <laughs> I don't know if I did it right or not. <laughs> well, it, no, but that's fine. It's it's your take on the word and how it connects to other things. And yet to use, use Ed Izzard, who's done a lot of um, documentaries as well, you know, humanitarian kind of things. You, know, you need a flag. You need a flag, indeed. You need a flag, so, yes. So, Death Star um, Canteen, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely one one link there. And of course, it's 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 a cultural thing. You know, it takes it's it's something which takes place in various communities. And you know, drag is a very very big part of you know from from LGBT history. You know, like the Stonewall riots, uh, because that wasn't just regards to with you know gay lesbian and bisexual people there were trans people involved there were drag kings and drag queens involved and of course that then that was a very very big part of of history in that part of the world so you know there's lots of different ways that you could probably have connected that but yeah and then the clothing of course then you could have gone and then the, like the, it's a whole global fashion industry you know drag is a bit of an industry it's a global phenomenon and all that kind of so there's i've just yeah. recently been listening to uh sandman uh the audio dramas which are yes. fantastic and people should absolutely be listening to those. Uh, but it, I, I, my mind went to um, a Midsummer's Night uh, dream, the story they do in that. And in there, obviously, you have, um, they put on a Midsummer's Night's dream for the, the Fae there. And, and you have, um, I think it's Shakespeare's son, uh, who's playing one of the roles of the princesses in there as well. And uh, yeah. Because there were no women in the company, because only men could be actors That's right. at the time. That's right. Allegedly. Yep. <laughs> the history we have says only men could be actors, and I'm sure that was the case. But it's another fantastic link. Yep. So exploring, you know, di different geographical um, places through the arts, through acting, you know, in Shakespeare's time, because it, it was all the men that dressed up as doing all the women's parts. So, yeah, another little link there. Nice one. Right, and Andy, your turn to turn the tables. Can you oh, yes. words? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well, that just sends shivers down my spine, that did. Um right, what words do you want to give to our next guest to challenge to link to the link to geography? Well, the word I have chosen, and, and I I will say this word now, and, and, and you can decide if this word is okay or if this is too too unkind. Because <laughs> this is my favorite word in the English language, because it is the longest non-technical word in the English language. Would you like to know what that word is? Well, the, the only, the long is, unless it's an urban myth that anti-disestablishment heroism is the longest word in the English language. That is, is the that, one. That, that is it. the one. <laughs> Look, longest non-technical word. There's, there's longer technical words and names and things, but the longest non-technical, unless Stephen Fry has lied to me. And quite frankly, if Stephen Fry is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> you no, know, I, I, I'm less worried 
about giving that to my next guest than I am about trying to fit it into my bleeding word cloud. And okay. <laughs> so I have a backup word. I have a backup. Would you like no, to hear no, the backup no. word? I'll, no. I'll make it work. <laughs> and also, if I'm going to make a bleeding poem at the end of season two, what am I going to get anti-disestablished from terrorism in there? I will. I'll there you go. <laughs> right. Okay. No, I'm up for the challenge. And my next guest, um, yeah, they're going yeah, to. To your next what... guest, I would just like to say, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> what first impression are you going to give? Right. Well, thank you so much for um, being talking to me, Andy, for now this is the fourth or fifth conversation we've had. And it's always, always loads and loads of fun. It's um, always a pleasure to speak with your kids. Yeah. So we always end up then with uh, any shout outs and any promos you want to give, you know, what, what, how we can find you on social media. So yeah, rung them off here. Who would like to say hi to and what would you like to tell us a little bit about? Well, I, I tell you what I will want to say, because I have been podcasting for quite a while now. Uh, it, it, a little bit. Uh, I want to give a little tip of a hat and a shout out to, to you, Kit, Aww. because the document you sent me in preparation <laughs> for this literally blew my socks off. I have never <laughs> received such a lovely introduction document helping someone to connect. Uh, I've got to say, I, f- I felt a little bit called out, a little bit, a little bit put down by it, but it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's my OCD, think, really. And <laughs> but it's it's it is fantastic. Anyone who podcasts, you should absolutely aim to provide something like that, especially if you have guests on who are not podcasters, because I imagine it goes a long way to making it go a lot smoother. Uh, so, so my first shout out and tip of a hat is to your good self, uh, and and. <laughs> I really appreciated that. Uh, in in terms of the stuff I do, uh, all of my podcasts can be found at rogue2media.com. Uh, I do the Great Derelict podcast, which is about everything and anything to do with science fiction. Uh, I do the Into the Expanse podcast, which yes. is a companion podcast for the Expanse, uh, which very sadly is about to end. Uh, now, by the time this comes out, I suspect it will have ended quite a while ago. But yeah. if you haven't listened or watched it, you should go and watch the Expanse and then listen to the podcast afterwards. Um, because we explain things for people and help connect dots. Um, and uh, I also do the Grand Prix podcast because uh, for my sins, I enjoy watching Formula One. Well, I did enjoy watching Formula One. It's to be decided if I'm still going to enjoy watching Formula One next season. We'll see. <laughs> we um, could spend a whole 50 minutes talking about the end of the season, I think. <laughs> yeah, not. I've got enough of that on the fucking podcast. Anyway, uh, but uh, yes, uh, they're all there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AndyFreeE. Um, the Great Derelict has a Facebook group, which is the great derelict yep most the uh, fun i mentioned the twitter things uh, uh i met instagram that was andy p3e i got a cosplay one as well but they're all yes. linked on there so uh yeah uh do go and check all those one things out yeah uh, i mean do. in terms of shout outs there's, there's many many wonderful people out there on the on the trek community that both myself and kit are connected to uh, follow them be cool don't be a dick basically <laughs> absolutely 100 well andy always always a pleasure and i have to say before we part ways is that it's been it's been absolutely well it's serendipitous that we managed to connect everything like that but um you know you've you've quick become um not just acquaintance me but i think you know a good friend as well um someone who i can geek off and bounce off of and it's just lovely and it's just um it's it's very very enriching and wonderful to to know that you're around and doing your thing and, and entertaining us and uh and yeah so thank you very very much that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If 
you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.